have two readings. The first one is from Genesis. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. When the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, and no shrub of the field had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant of the field had yet sprung up, for the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no man to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. The Lord formed the man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, and there he put the man he'd formed. And the Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden. From there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. It winds, winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good. Aromatic resin and onyx are also there. The name of the second river, river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush. The name of the third river is Tigris. And it runs along the east side of Asher. And the fourth river is the Euphrates. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and to take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you do eat of it, you will surely die. And to turn now to Colossians, which is on page 834 and we're looking at chapter 3 verses 22 slaves obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favor but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord whatever you do work at it with all heart as working for the Lord and not for men since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favoritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know what you have that you know that you also have a master in heaven. When I was twenty three I was working managing a small pharmacy. And um, I had a staff team of about five people that I was looking after. It was a great little shop. If you stood in the right spot in the shop on a Friday afternoon, you could watch the boats zipping around the lake as you count, counted down the minutes till the, the day was over and the week was over. And the work was pretty good too, actually. It wasn't too busy and it wasn't too quiet. It was just about right. But what made it hard... What put me out of my depth completely were the relationships at work. I remember one night after I'd been on the phone for over an hour with a staff member who was 30 years older than me or more, with her in tears because of another staff member, I remember thinking, I'm not trained to deal with this. I can just handle dealing with medicines and most doctors and some patients but nothing at uni had prepared me to deal with staff relationships. There was my boss, who was great but a bit eccentric. 
who was so obsessed with recycling paper that all of our notes had to be written on used scraps of paper. There was the dispensary assistant who'd worked there for 30 years but still didn't know a single customer's name. Well, it felt like that anyway. There was the 18-year-old staff member who was rude to customers and loved to call in sick every other week after a big weekend. And of course, there was the insecure older staff member on the phone to me that night in tears. No wonder I found myself daydreaming, counting down the minutes, looking at the boats on the lake, wishing I was out there too. Today we're starting a series called Life, Navigating the Relationships That Matter. And at first it might seem a bit strange that on a series on relationships, we're starting by talking about work. But I'm guessing it's not just me who's found it difficult navigating relationships at work. I'm guessing that most of us find it hard at times. The reality is that we spend, many of us, spend an awful lot of our waking hours at work. And in our work, there are all sorts of different relationships to navigate. There's our relationship with our boss. Then there's our our relationships with our colleagues or maybe with those we employ or who we manage. Relationships with clients or patients or customers or sales reps. I think most people would say that the, the best and the worst thing about work is the people that we encounter. So in a series on relationships, getting work relationships right is pretty important. And if we can get, if we want to get work relationships right, then the best thing that we can do is listen to the author of the one who made relationships and made work and listen to what he has to say. The Bible, of course, is full of wisdom about how to live the beautiful life. And today we're going to look at just a fraction of what God has to say about these things. Work is such a huge topic. We only have the time to look at just a tiny, tiny bit. The first thing that God has to say, though, is that work is a priceless gift from Him with incredible value and significance. We'll see in a minute how this affects our work relationships, but first we need to hear this. Work is a priceless gift from Him with incredible value and significance. God gives us work as a fantastic gift. Look at Genesis 2.15. After God's made the world... And notice, before anything's wrong with the world, we read, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. In Australian culture, sometimes we talk about work like it's a necessary evil. We put up with work because it allows us to do other good things, like earn money so that we can eat or so that we can enjoy the weekend. But that's not at all how God sees it. God sees work as a good part of His creation. He sees it as a gift to humanity. And in fact, the work that God gives humanity goes beyond just caring for the garden. Look at how God puts it in Genesis 1.28. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Humanity's work isn't limited to the garden. Our work, in one sense, 
is to expand the garden over the face of the earth, out of the chaos of the earth. Human work is is supposed to bring order. That's the idea you get from that passage. When God says, fill the earth and subdue it, He's not saying exploit the earth, pollute it and destroy it. He's saying the opposite. He's saying human work is designed to use this world, but not to abuse this world. Human work is about caring for this world and bringing about conditions that are good for human society. And all work, all human work was made to be like this. We take the raw materials of this world of one sort or another, and we rework them to bring order out of chaos, whether it's growing grain and and turning it into bread, whether it's harnessing electricity and, and using it for computers, even if it's subduing data in a database that can then tell us meaningful things, all work in one way or another is about subduing the earth, extending the borders of the garden. And so from God's point of view, work is an enormous privilege. It's, it's more like an adventure to expand the borders of the garden across the face of the earth. So what does this mean for our relationships at work? It means, first of all, something simple but profound. You should value what you do, no matter what that is. If it contributes somehow to the common good, and all true work does, then you should value your work. And the thing is that if you do that, it will impact your relationships at work. Because if you value your your work, it's going to have a flow-on effect to how you do it and how you treat other people as you do it. To start with, you won't loathe being there. You won't spend the whole time wishing that you were somewhere else. We won't be viewing work as a necessary evil. Talk to anyone who can't get work and they'll remind you just what a gift it is to be able to work, to have any kind of work. Most of us feel this this strong need to work, not just for money, but in order to be able to contribute. But sometimes when we do have a job, we can start to take it for granted and even despise it. And that attitude, it ends up rubbing off on, on how we treat other people at work. Because the other thing that this means is that we shouldn't just value the work we do, we should value all work. And if we do that, that will definitely have an enormous impact on our relationships at work. We tend to have a a pecking order in our mind. You know, if someone's a university professor, you know, they're pretty high up there. Somebody's a doctor, they're pretty high. They're a specialist, a little bit higher, not a little bit lower. But if they're a garbage collector, in our pecking order, we tend to put them on the bottom. Why do we think like that? Well, it's because we're thinking about work all wrong. From God's perspective, work's not about status. All work is valuable. Taking rubbish away from where people live and eat and sleep, that's valuable in God's eyes. Stacking shelves at Coles, with things that people need to live, that's incredibly valuable in God's eyes. If we value all work, not just our own work, this will absolutely affect our relationships at work. 
if you're a boss, it'll affect the way that you relate to your employees. Instead of only recognising their value as they help you with your work, you'll recognise the incredible value of what they do. It'll affect the way we relate to colleagues. The reality is we're all tempted to compare ourselves to others and we either look down on them or we sort of look up and resent them. When instead, we should value all work. God doesn't have a pecking order. And you know what? This is true even if we're not paid for our work. For some reason in our culture, we tend to devalue those who aren't paid. Even this week, we had politicians implying that the only work that counts is work where you pay tax. But God doesn't think about our work like that. Adam wasn't getting paid or paying tax, I'm pretty sure. And yet his work was still valuable. So stay-at-home parents, carers, or volunteers, this sort of work, it's still contributing to the good of society and it's every bit as valuable to God as paid work. So the first thing from the Bible to see is that work is a priceless gift from God with incredible value and significance. And here's the second thing we need to see. Work is a dreadful burden with questionable impact and meaning. Hang on a minute, that sounds like the opposite, doesn't it? Let me say that again. Work is a dreadful burden with questionable impact and meaning. You see, what we see in the Bible is that work has become toil. Look over at the next page of the Bible, Genesis 3, verse 17. Most of us knows, know um, what happens next. Adam and Eve aren't happy to work under God's rule. They stop seeing him as a good, caring God, giving them everything they need, and, and they start seeing him as a dominating, cruel master who's holding out of them. So they at, attempt a kind of takeover of this world. They don't want him as a boss anymore, so they try to take control of his world for themselves. But this attempt to fire God from ruling his own world, which all people since, including ourselves, have done, it has a massive impact on our relationships and it has a huge impact on our work. God isn't happy to let us live under the delusion that we can fire him and then just carry on life happily without him. One of the impacts of our rejection of God is that our work is affected. Look at what God says to Adam in Genesis 3, verse 17. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat from it all the days of your life. Work goes from being a fantastic gift to being twisted into toil. Now, Adam's work of subduing the earth will be painful, it'll be frustrating and you read on and you'll see that it will eventually kill him. Maybe that sounds like your job as well. But actually the Bible says all work becomes like this. It's still a gift from God but all work has been twisted into toil. Have you ever wondered why life can be so wonderful and yet so terrible? Or have you ever wondered why people can be the best part of this world and yet the worst part of this world? 
or why work can be such a gift and yet in the next moment be such a curse. It's because we were made for wonderful things. But our decision to push God aside out of the picture means that we often twist these wonderful things into terrible things. Our rebellion against God means our work, our relationships, our world itself is broken. It's kind of like a three-wheeled car where one of the wheels has fallen off. You know, you get glimpses of how awesome it can be. When you're travelling along on a straight road, a three-wheeled car, it's, it's great. But you hit a corner and that's when you discover just how absolutely awful it can be. This is what it means for us to be human now. We constantly get glimpses of how things could have been. And then next thing we know, we hit a corner and we see just how dysfunctional life can really be. Work has become toil and sometimes we can even question whether our work has any value at all. So what does this mean for our relationships at work now? The first thing it means is that we shouldn't expect our relationships at work to be easy. You put a bunch of people together who are not just working but who are toiling and you shouldn't expect things to go smoothly. That's where I went wrong in the pharmacy that I was managing. I was thinking, you know, why can't we just sell medicines and give health advice and all just get along? I was naive about the reality of work. But I came to realise, and it was helpful to learn it way back then for work later on, I came to realise that customers, doctors, sales reps, other staff, they were all dealing with work being toil. And quite often for them or myself, the wheels were falling off. And actually, even when things were going along relatively smoothly, I began to realise that even still there was a kind of meaninglessness to work. Month in, month out, people came to get their medicines. I started to think, we're not really curing anyone here. We're just holding their hand as they slowly march towards the inevitable. I couldn't help but think about what it says about work in the book of Ecclesiastes, in chapter 2, verse 17. So I hated life because the work that is done under the sun was grievous to me, All of it is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Work for everyone is toil. What this means for our relationships is that we should turn up to work with compassion. Go easy on yourself as to why you find work hard and frustrating. And go easy on others. They're just as likely to be frustrated as we are. It also means that we shouldn't place a weight on our work that it just can't possibly bear. Too many of us are looking for our work to fulfil us. But it never will. You hear people say, do what you love. But for most of us, maybe for all of us, that's unattainable. Even if you do what you love, there'll be bits of your work that are frustrating, burdensome and feel meaningless. If you're at high school right now, thinking about a career or you're at uni, you need to hear this. No work will completely fulfil you. These days, it's quite common to see people changing courses many times, changing careers many, many times. And often the reason is because we have an unrealistic expectation that we'll somehow find the job that will fill the hole within us. 
You won't. All work has become toil. Too many of us are working too hard because we're searching for meaning where we'll never find it. And if we look to our work for our meaning, we'll be at risk of neglecting our families and our friends for our work. Can I just pause for a second from talking about work and encourage you to take a day off a week, a day of rest, if you want to call it that. God's intention for us was always to have a day off a week. That's just the way He made us. Even before sin entered the world, God intended for us to take a day off a week. Humans need it. Can I encourage you just to set aside a day a week where, if possible, you don't even think about your work or your study, And I reckon what you'll find is that you work so much more efficiently the rest of the time when you do that. There are all sorts of good reasons to work really hard, to throw ourselves into our work, but finding our value or our our meaning or our identity in our work is not a good reason because work can never give us these things. Only God can give us these things. And this brings us to our third and final point. Jesus' death and resurrection can give our work eternal significance once more. We can share in Jesus' work and so be involved in a work that will last forever. Jesus can give significance to our work. Because we've rejected God, no human can properly do the work that God gave us to do. No human now can extend the borders of the Garden of Eden across the face of the earth. No human except one. Jesus, in his death and resurrection, is doing the work that we can't do. He makes it for this world to become the paradise that God intended it to be. That's why in the Bible, the world is destined to become the garden city. Jesus does the work that we could never do. But here's the thing. He gives us a chance to get involved in this work again. First of all, He makes it possible for us to give up our rebellion against God and be pardoned. And then Jesus allows us to share in this work by us calling other people to be reconciled to God. In 2 Corinthians 5 verse 20, Paul says that we're like ambassadors for this new world that Jesus is bringing about. Paul writes, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. We can share in Christ's work by calling on people to be reconciled to God, to be a part of the paradise that he's bringing. But the amazing thing is that it's it's not just when we call on people to be reconciled to God that our work takes on eternal significance. In the New Testament, the way we do our regular, everyday work can have eternal significance because by it, we can demonstrate that we're living for God and for His kingdom. And any work, no matter how insignificant it seems, can have this eternal significance if we're doing it for Jesus. In Colossians, which was read before, Paul says that even slaves can do the Lord's work and they can do it as they're serving their human masters. Did you notice that? Look with me again at Colossians 
Paul writes, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to curry their favour. Don't you love that? Always sort of makes me think of someone sort of stirring up a curry, trying to sort of impress someone or something like that. Would impress me, but anyway. Don't just do it when their eyes on you to carry their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now listen to this. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, there's your eternal significance. An inheritance from the Lord as a reward something that lasts forever. But listen to this. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Slaves, as they serve their human masters, as they work in the field, as they cook them their dinner, as they clean their house, clean the toilets for all we know, it is the Lord Christ they are serving. Now, we're not slaves. If you're mistreated by your boss, get another job if you can. There's there's no virtue for us in being a doormat. But even though we're not slaves, this passage says to us that even the lowliest work, even the most demeaning work, can have eternal significance. If that's true for slaves, it's true for all of us. Whatever we do, it's possible that we can do it and at the same time be serving Jesus and our work have eternal significance. I can work hard because I'm told to, because I have to, or because I'll lose my job if I don't. Or I can work hard because God values it. And my motivation for my work, and the way I work, and not just the outcomes of my work, are valuable to God. See, in the end, Christians don't work just for the money or for the status or for our bosses or even for our own self-fulfillment. In the end, we ultimately work for our Lord Jesus Christ and He gives our work eternal significance when we do that. Imagine literally working for Christ. Would it affect the way that you treat your patients? Would it change the way you teach the kids at school if he was your boss? Would it make any difference to how you serve the customers? It would, wouldn't it? If Jesus was my boss, I reckon I'd work hard to try and earn him money. I reckon I'd I'd also work hard to make sure I was honest with the customers and served them well. I'd work hard to support and encourage my colleagues as well if he was my boss. And I also reckon I'd work hard to get away from work, maybe not right on the dot as soon as it hits five o'clock, but certainly I'd work hard to get away from work at a decent time so that I can fulfil my other responsibilities in the rest of my life. If we follow Jesus, we do work for Him. In our paid jobs, if we have them, in our role as a stay-at-home parent, whatever our work is, how we do it, And our motivations for doing it matter to God. If you're lucky enough to have a paid job, work hard at it for Christ. 
If you can't get paid work, volunteer and then work hard at that for Christ. If you're a student, your work is your study. Work hard at it for Christ. If you're a stay-at-home parent, work hard at it as for Christ. If you're retired, you're still at work for Christ. Your volunteer work, your support of your family, your caring and visiting are incredibly valuable. Because of Jesus, our work matters. It's not in vain. When it's telling people about Jesus, it matters. But also, when it's serving Him faithfully in our jobs and demonstrating the difference He makes to our lives, it matters. Jesus can give all of our work eternal significance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for the enormous gift that work is, that You made us to rule under Your rule this world. But Lord, the reality is it wasn't just Adam and Eve who have rejected Your rule. We are very much rejected your rule like they have. We've pushed you to the side, wanting to determine our own destiny, wanting to work for ourselves and not for your glory. Father, we are filled with wonder at you that you do not give up on us. Instead, Lord, in Christ, you work for us. Lord, we are filled with awe that the work of Christ took him to be the servant of all on the cross. That in his horrible work at the cross, he brought about your beautiful plan for this creation. We thank you so much, Father, that you didn't give up on wanting to extend the borders of Eden across this world. Lord, we ask that you would captivate our hearts and minds to work for you. Lord, that we would call on people to be reconciled to you. And also, Lord, in our work, we would authenticate our message as we show that we are changed by you in how we work, in our motivations for work, and in how we treat people as we work. Lord, help us to already start to live out the restored world that you are bringing about. We struggle so much at this, Lord. We need your help. Please pour out your Holy Spirit on our lives, we ask in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen.